listening to Rick Flynn. With a shout out from London Town, it's Rick Flynn presents. Now, ladies and gentlemen, your MC for the affair, Rick Flynn. Hi, everyone, and thank you. I'm very pleased to have with us tonight in the studio by way of our clean COVID-19 hookup, Jelly Bean Johnson, who co-produced with Janet Jackson her wonderful Black Cat single, and that was from her, what album was that from, uh, Jelly Bean? Uh, Rhythm Nation. The Rhythm Janet Nation. Jackson Rhythm Nation. Yeah. Now, did you, pl- you didn't play drums on that, did you? No, I didn't play drums on that. I played a... Uh, guitars and uh, i produced black cat and stuff and uh, you and janet and I, both produced it right yeah it, it was done with me and her both yeah and it went all the way to number one <laughs> well the cool thing about black cat anybody who knows me is I'm, I'm a hardcore rocker at heart too in addition to the funk thing and r&b thing but i'm, I'm a rock guy at our heart and, and during those times i was really into heavy metal you know and rock hard heavy rock guitar and stuff and the blues too, blues guitar. So it came in handy doing that song on Janet. You know, I told her, I said, uh, you know, Michael's got beat it and dirty Diana. And I say, you know, we should try to do a, like a rock anthem on you. And she was down for it. Now, uh, Eddie Van Halen did the guitar on Beat It, didn't he? On Beat It, yeah, he sure did. Yeah, he yeah. sure did. And uh, Jelly Bean, they're trying to to sell Black Cat as a heavy metal tune. I kind of look at that as rock and roll. I don't it's, really it's, look at that as heavy metal. It's exactly right. It, and it, it is a rock. It's a heavy rock song. It's not really heavy metal. But I will say during that time, heavy metal was huge. And all the heavy metal cats were tripping about that song. You know, I would read little articles where they'd be saying, how in the hell has Janet Jackson got a song like that? They say been- Lemmy. Lemmy wanted in on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, promoting promoting here. All all the heavy rock cats, man. They were like yeah. Motley Crue, all of them, you know. Now I don't they know if dark. you could have pulled Lemmy out of that enshrined bar stool he's got out there in California, but he always hung at that place and after oh, okay. he left us, yes, they got a bar out there and they enshrined the stool that he used to sit on. Sit I don't on, think yeah, anybody yeah. else can sit there. No, I, I don't, you know, Lenny was iconic, man. Lenny was iconic. I remember, I was, like I said, Rick, I was into all those those heavy rock bands, man, which was kind of odd because, you know, I'm a black, you know, black rocker, you know, and you know, right. too many black rock bands besides Living Color and a couple other Hendrix stuff, but uh, I was always into heavy guitar, heavy rock and roll and stuff, so that, that came in handy. Now, that Living Color, their cult of personality? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. did I, that, now that's, oh, that's a good song. Yeah, they're they're great. They're Very good. Great, so man. I went to Lester Troutman when I came back from Minneapolis, where I saw you last. Uh, uh-huh. I was out there. I was out there uh, for a month. I said, Lester, you're not going to believe this. I saw talk to Jelly Bean Johnson. He didn't play drums one time. He was playing guitar. And Lester says, oh, that doesn't surprise me. He's a very good guitar player. Yeah. yeah I never good. knew that until I <laughs> till I journeyed to Minneapolis. Minneapolis, yeah, yeah. Oh, but anyway, what a pleasure it is to reconnect with you, Jelly Bean Johnson. Not only did I love you as the world did when you were with the time, but for heaven's sake, how can you go wrong teaming up with Miss Jackson? 
yeah. if you're nasty, right. <laughs> and, and and score number one on that Black Cat single. That was great. Yeah, it was it was a great time in my life and stuff. And you know, it was great to have the opportunity to p- produce people. You know, I did Nona Hendrix during that time. I had a song on her called "Why Should I Cry." I had a song on Alexander O'Neill that was a hit called "Criticize." I did a a band that to this day I call my musical sons. They were called Mint Condition. You know, and I did Pretty Brown Eyes for them. And I did a, a song, a new edition called Crucial. A new edition's um, Bobby Brown's band. Well, Bobby Brown was in it. He wasn't it. He had just left when I when we did him. That, oh, he was, not, at, he was he not. He was not there he at was, the time. He had, yeah, he had turned into the Bobby Brown solo artist, you know, <laughs> which was huge. <laughs> yeah, okay. But yeah, but he, you know, he started with New Edition too. So he's um, cool too. He always treats me, he always treats me with a lot of love too when I see him. Right now, uh, didn't, um, I don't mean to draw a tragic light out of it, but didn't he just lose his daughter? He lost his daughter. He just lost his son recently. Yeah, and his daughter, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, both There of them. you he, go. He's been through And, you know, he was married to Whitney. Oh, uh, well, absolutely. Said. Yeah. So, you know, Bobby's been through some horrible things. He's you know, been through him. it once, twice, three times. Yeah, a few times. I mean, you know, and, and he's a good guy. You know, a lot of people, contrary to belief, you know, I, I, I know this. I've met him. He's a good guy. He's not the... The rebel that a lot of people think he is. Well, uh, a lot of terrible. people, Jelly Bean, a lot of people attribute her death, uh, Whitney's, to him. Yeah, I know, I know, and that's that. To me, that's unfair, but you know, that's what people do. So, yeah, well, that's you know the that the, happens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, these snippers will snip, won't they? They will snip. Yes, they will. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I like how you put that. I, yeah, I've been down there. I've been through it, so I know. Yeah. Oh my! Oh my! <laughs> Well, I want to thank you publicly, if I could, over the air, because not only did I uh, uh, reconnect with you up in um, Minneapolis after I had emceed your show here in Cincinnati at the Riverfront Coliseum, and the headliner on that show, which was the largest show that I ever have emceed to this moment. Wow. As wow. I sit here today, I have yeah. never emceed a larger venue with more people in it. And by the way, I was the MC for one of our local major music venues here, but it was a theater. And the most, oh, okay. Oh, okay. yes. The most that theater would hold would be 2,000. Oh, wow. Okay. okay so now at that where I emceed this concert featuring Prince as the headliner, featuring Zap, featuring Roger in the middle, and the opening act was an unknown band that nobody had known at the time at all, and they were from Minneapolis. They were called Morris Day in the Time, and you were the drummer. Do you remember anything at all about that? Yes, I do. I, well, see, like I said earlier that year, uh, Prince had brought us you know, to Detroit, unexpectedly uh, and the reason he'd done that because get it up was climbing the charts then it was starting to get big around the get it up the first single ever first from single. the time yeah the first single from us was get it up and uh and get it up had really broken in detroit because of a, a famous dj there they're called the electrifying mojo and uh he's the one that broke us and stuff so when we came there unexpectedly man it was total chaos it's total mayhem because nobody expect they heard this band but they wasn't sure if it was prince or or was he like imitating or whatever they didn't know what to think and when they saw us and saw that we were actual band they like lost it 
And it was, it was, I'll never forget it the rest of my life, you know, to see 26,000 people. And mind you, I, I, you know, I had come from the playing clubs, you know, I, I wasn't used to playing in huge, front of huge clubs like that. I was, you know, I was used to playing in front of nightclub crowds and stuff like that. And this was something totally different. <laughs> Boy, I'll tell you now, you, the band and Morris was featured in that motion picture, Purple Rain. Yep. Were yep. you yes. in there? Yes, I was in Purple Rain too. Yep. Now, the Purple Rain, the movie, went on to portray Morris Day in the time as sort of, uh, oh, due to lack of a better term, can I call it, quote, competition, end quote, to, yeah. to Prince. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In real life, was that the way it was, or was that Hollywood speaking? Well, it was. It was a little bit of both. It was Hollywood speaking, but you know, we were very competitive with Prince coming up. You know, we were all in rival bands as as teenagers. You know, at fourteen, fifteen years old, we we're all in rival bands. Uh, there was Flight Time with uh, me and uh, Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, and Monty Moore and David Island, Cynthia Johnson from Funky Town fame, and Robert Martin and. Uh, Bob Johnson, a bunch of people, man. Joy Kareem was our original guitar player. And then there was Prince, and Prince was him and Andre Simone and Andre's sister, Linda. And his first drummer was his cousin, Chas, uh, Charles Smith, Chas Smith, as he called it, a. And then after uh, they had trouble with Chas and stuff, they hired a young Morris Day to be their drummer. So we were, you know, in competition with each other, like 15, 16 years old around here for the little gigs, you know, local gigs that we could get around here. Mind you, we couldn't play in the clubs here. You know, because the white clubs, you know, the black uh, black people wasn't, you know, black musicians wasn't allowed to play in the in the white clubs. I won't say wasn't allowed, but they weren't hiring us. <laughs> Let's call it that. Uh, they were afraid that if they hired, <laughs> it would turn their the purity of yeah, their yeah, club it, it into exactly. a mixed club. For heaven's exactly. sake, we wouldn't and want they, any of that. They didn't dare no. How God forbid that. Oh you know? God forbid so, that would happen. <laughs> no. But you know, but even then, even so, we would still play like the black functions, the black sororities, and the occasional black nightclub here and stuff. And you know, and it would be competitions between us and Princess and Princess Band Grand Central. Well, I'm going to tell you this. You can tell me I'm wrong until you're blue in the face. But I'm going to tell you right now, Jelly Bean Johnson, if it were not for the white crowd, 50% or more of the fans of the time would not be on the face of this earth. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, man, and, and did those came, records, those records the, were yeah. bought by white people and yeah, black people, them. both. Yeah, 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 both. And that was part of the appeal for us. You know, we, you know, but that was part of Prince's appeal too. That's the thing. He knew that he knew he had to get a white artist too, to get where he wanted to go. Oh yeah. And that's what he did, you know? So, you know, the time was kind of like his black side his R and B side. That's what we, you know, we were like his black alter ego band. And then the revolution, him and the revolution were doing all the pop stuff. You know, they were doing the little red Corvettes and 1999s and stuff. Cause that's how, you know, he find that's purple rain, you know, cause he had to get a white audience, you know, to get the, the kind of revenue he needed to make a movie. And that and record what, he did controversy. He did. Yeah. Contra right. Oh, controversy what a, started it. Yeah. Oh, that was, that was a major dance yeah, single. Yeah. 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 That, that started. That's when we, I was our first year out was a controversy tour. So if everybody is saying that the time was a competitor, quote unquote, a prince, he must have left that philosophy behind when the movie Purple Rain was made, because obviously he said, I want that band in this movie or it, you would have never have been there. 
No, absolutely. And that he, you know, I, you know, I always get in trouble with the Prince people about this because you know, I said Prince fool y'all. He, he, he did. He knew what he was doing in Purple Rain when he put the time in there. He wanted y'all to see the the tension and the competition and all that because he knew that that people would like that. He so, knew uh, what would sell. He knew what would sell, and yeah. you know, and especially, and he was appealing to the white people too. He had to appeal to the white crowd with that. It turned out he was right. He guessed right, and that's what it was, you know. And people enjoy it to this day. They still talk about, you know, that Purple Rain still on, you know, various, you know, cable channels to this day. You know? That Prince sound, it will make people dance to this day. Yeah, absolutely. It will. And we haven't even mentioned 1999. Now, yeah. is there a hit single, or is there a hit single? 1999 yeah the, the hit single off there that got it really started was little red corvette oh yes yes that's what that's what really dialed him into the pop white crowd was little red corvette it will i remember corvette. when when i first started playing him it was early on from his uh i guess i'm gonna call it his first album that i can recall and it was two songs we took off of there that did okay. well. One of them was I Want to Be Your Lover. And the okay. first one we ever played by him was Soft and Wet. And wet, yeah. Soft and Wet was the first album. And that then I Want to Be Your Lover. I Want to Be Your Lover was the second album. That second the album, album. yes. Uh -huh. But Soft and Wet would be, be the soft first. Soft and Wet started. That's that the started it. Yep, Thank that's you. Started. That yep. would, that's what introduced him to the world, you know, as an 18-year-old soloist. And that is what I was playing to the audiences at that time, Soft yeah, and Wet. Ab absolutely. It was, that was a big cult. And, you know, and Soft and Wet wasn't, it didn't go like number one, like, I want to be your lover, but it introduced him to the masses. That's and it was and funky. Yeah, it was nasty. It was really it, nasty. It was funky, and it had that that stop beat, you know, bump, yeah, bump, bump. Yeah, that Minneapolis thing. Yeah, uh -huh, yeah. And it would stop to dead silence. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And I'd slip cue <laughs> and start the darn thing all over oh, from the beginning. And the crowd. It was a DJ's dream. It was a DJ's dream. Oh, right. I, I took, I don't know how many minutes, but if it was three, I had it to nine by the time yeah, yeah. I was done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because DJs took it. They took two or three copies oh, of it. Oh, I had two. two thing. I can show you the two copies. They're duct taped together right now. <laughs> yes, sir. There you go. And, and Prince, bump, bump, bump. Yeah. Oh, and you, you're and right. The dead silence, and they gave y'all a lot of room to do different I, things and get creative with my it. My finger was on that slip cue, Jelly Bean, and it started from the very beginning, and the crowd was none the wiser. What yeah, yeah. what a good set of singles from Prince, and then from Morris Day in the time. You came and did extremely well and blessed the world out of that band with a couple of kids that I, I, I what do you say from uh, Jimmy and Terry other than they found their calling in life in that yeah. band? Yeah, they did. They did. They, they were did. with uh, you on that first tour. They, they did the first two tours. They were the first two tours and then Prince fired them. So, uh huh, and yeah. that's when they went out on their own. And then that's when they went on and on. And their first uh, major hit was SOS Band. Right you know, now, just be good to me. Yeah. Oh, the, right, just be good to me. Yeah, yeah that was yeah. distributed. I believe that was on Columbia or distributed by Columbia. I think it was uh, either something like that. A taboo. Yeah. It was taboo or some Columbia. Right, that's something like that's that, a Columbia right? product. Yeah, 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 taboo. They were out of that. That group was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they were out of Atlanta. Out of Atlanta, they still are. Uh -huh. They're still going strong to this day. Oh, they're too, yeah. still going. 
They're still going, bro. They still they they sound great in concert to this. Oh my, yeah. oh my. Well, now Jelly Bean, I understand at this point in your life, and I'm not done with the past because there's a whole lot I want to get to. But I want to tell everybody, and I want you to uh, chime in here and let the people know what are you doing with your life right now. What do you got going on? Okay. Well, right now, you know, with this COVID-19 thing, we're in a hiatus. So, you know, you can't really do shows anymore. So more stay in the time are kind of, you know, we kind of on hiatus right now. So I just released my first solo project in my life. An album? Uh, an album. Yeah. I, I just came out on the 20th, November 20th here. It's called The Jelly Bean Johnson Experience. And the name of the album is called Get Experience. And uh, Rick, it's a window into my life. You know, I love to play with other other artists. I, you know, you like you said when you see here, you saw me play with artists around town and stuff. And I've always done that. And I've been blessed here with Minnesota being a, having the music scene that it has that I could I could literally go play almost six seven nights a week with different artists. Like you saw me with the combo, I could easily play with another band on you know, any other night and stuff too. Right. Them. And so uh, it was great to, to have all these connections and stuff. And so I was blessed with all these fabulous musicians and. And singers, you know, when I got together, they had all these great songs. And uh, and I, I just put a collage together. Now, mind you, years ago, you know, when I was in Terry Lewis, Jimmy Damn Terry Lewis production, Terry Lewis had, had mentioned to me, you know, being you should do a solo record. But see, the thing about that, I was scared back then because I don't sing. You know, I could tell people what to sing as a producer and everything, but I don't sing. I just play the drums and guitar and, and little keyboards, whatever. But, you know, I'm, I'm good at producing, but I can't sing. And I always felt, if you will, solo artist, you need to sing your own stuff. But that's not true, you know. And that's, you know, he was thinking, Terry's thinking about that then, too. And, and then I finally realized it through the years that you can be a solo artist. And you just get other artists to sing for you. And so that's what's going on with the Jelly Bean Johnson thing now, the just Jelly Bean Johnson project that I have now. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a, you know, like a window into my life, a reflection of my career. And, uh, and uh, we got it out and stuff. I got all these cool artists on it. I have a, my first song that's called Put Some Jelly on it. That was actually, we actually did that a year and a half, almost two years ago. But that's the first song, that's the first single. And it was done with a friend of mine out of Chicago. His name is Ronnie Baker Brooks. I did his first three records. He's a blues. His dad was blues legend Lonnie Brooks. Oh and, yes. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he we trust me, I played Cincinnati with him many times in the blues bars there to show you how crazy it is. And then there's Ashley Tamar, who was in Prince's band uh years ago. And then there Illism is a band from here, uh, with Fancy and Envy, the leaders. Uh they're like a rap group, uh rap slash band here and stuff and me and my wife uh, partner had had them on some of our shows here and uh, they were very impressive and you know they they came a good song and then there's law which is from new york you know law goes way back man he's been around all the artists he had a famous uh, grandfather and stuff and so he's on there and with tony m from the mpg tracy blake another good friend of mine who's a rock and roller and we go way back he has a cool country band called one for willie right now that he has coming out and just the you know just like i said all the love i got from musicians you know especially i had eric gales who you like a 21st century hendrix chance howard monty moore you know me and him were in the time for right. you know almost 40 years michael bland who's a longtime prince drummer uh jimmy bayer eddie m from sheila e and Jesse Johnson thing. And just, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, try something different here and stuff. And so now like is, say, is the album funky? Is it bluesy? Is it rocky? What do you got? It's, it, it's, it's R&B funk. The, there's only kind of one semi-blues song in there. It's called, it's a remake of a, the old Lattimore song. Let's straighten it out uh, by Lattimore. Oh, I remember but, Lattimore. 
Oh yeah, I redid his song. I, I you know, because I grew up that my mom, you know, from Chicago, you know, she had me around all the blues, you know, I in addition to all the soul and stuff, the blues things. Oh um, yeah, there's plenty yeah. of them in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I, they're not they're not the most um oh beautiful clubs uh, in the world. But boy, but, but exactly, exactly. The music is good. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, I, I, and I've been blessed, you know, some of the hip art, you know, like illism is hip hop, you know, so I, I got them on there, too. So I have a little of that element on my, you know, for young people. I got stuff for my young people on there and, and the blues and the R&B funk that I'm known for, and, you know, so trying it's, to cross it's, it's over to everyone. I, I hit every I hit a little bit on everything, Rick. I tried to. We'll, you know, I just, you know, people should check it out and tell me what they think. All right. Now, where can somebody get your album if they wanted it? You can go on my website, jellybeanjohnson.com. Uh, you can go through uh, Real Music Radio, my uh, Jeff Luna and Krista Ar- Arnell. You can get it through there. Uh, uh, the I'm name of the something. album again is? The name of the album is Get Experienced by the Jelly, Jelly Bean Johnson Experience. Also, on my website is called jellybeanjohnson.com. That's how you get on it and stuff. But yeah, you can buy it from there and stuff. That's what we got. We haven't started to stream it yet. We're going to stream it a little bit later, but we're going to wait and do, you know, do it on our own here for a minute and stuff. And then we'll go on from there. And how long yeah, did it take you to make that? About a year or so? About a year and a half. It took about a year, almost a good solid year and a half, maybe a little bit over that. But uh, And how but pleased are you? How pleased I'm are you very, with it? I'm very pleased with it. I'm very, very pleased. You know, it was, uh, it was, trust me, it was, it was hard and painstaking <laughs> yes yes you know but that's anything you know and i learned that from my years in production that you know records usually take time you know but i i think i'm i'm, I'm hitting pretty everything that i wanted on there and stuff and you know and then I'll, it's not like i can't make another one you know oh yeah in a while so but, but you yeah know, that's that's what i'm doing right now so are, are you playing drums on there or are you playing guitar or both I'm playing a guitar. I'm playing guitar mostly on this stuff. I, I got some world-class drummers like Michael Bland and, uh, and other, you know, other drummers, friends of mine to, to play on it stuff. And that's, you know, a lot of people will be surprised that I didn't play the drums on there, but there was a reason Prince called Michael Bland the best drummer in the world. And I kind of <laughs> feel like, <laughs> well, I, I kind of feel like way too, you know, him and Stokely Williams. And, you know, I got a few, oh. I, I have a lot of, you know, I have a lot of great drum friends around here, Mario Dawson, Eric Ballard. And, you know, there are a lot of them. There are a lot of them out there. Yeah. I'll tell you who I call them. A lot of them showed me love over the years, too. So it, they were happy to play for me. So you wanna, want me to tell you who's the greatest drummer in the world? I who's know that? you already know it. His name, I think, was Buddy. Oh, Buddy Rich? Buddy Rich. Yeah. yeah now, I'm not going to say know, he was I, the most sociable individual. No, I didn't you know, say I was, that. <laughs> I actually went, got a chance to see him when I was younger, man, a teenager. He played at a club that I used to play at called the, uh, uh, the Riverview Club here, nightclub. And, and it had to be like the late 70s or early 80s, and he played a show there, man. And I, I remember I got to meet him, but I didn't get to really talk to him. And, and you know, I was kind of scared to talk to him because I had heard about. Oh, he'll you know, throw you he, right out of there. He could throw you can. <laughs> Yeah, he sure but, would. But, but you're right, though. He was so amazing on the drums, man. So I was so happy I got a chance to see him. Oh, yeah. I I had a chance. I published Buddy back when I was a newspaper columnist. I had a music column that was in uh, five, six, seven different papers locally. And I'm telling you, I had published an article on him with a photograph okay. and all this and that. And I came backstage to meet him. And okay. before he talked to me, he 
took the article, which I presented to him, and okay. he took it to the back room and darned if he didn't read every word I, I published. Out loud? No, no, to himself. Oh, to himself. Okay, he wanted right, to right. see how what bad, yeah, yeah exactly. how, how bad yeah. I was going to slam him in the article. Wow. And w the only bad thing, if you call it that, that was in the article, that I said, and Johnny Carson often refers to him as Mr. Humble. And that was the only negative thing that could be construed. So yeah, I was, we knew that he wasn't that way. Oh, <laughs> yes. Carson was making a joke out of that, you know. Yeah, exactly. Mr. Humble, my foot. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But at any rate, <laughs> his daughter, Kathy, was there. Another another girl that was singing with his band was Stan Getz's daughter. Oh, wow. The she was there. The sex okay, yeah, oh, wow. Yeah, both of them. Kathy yeah. and Stan Getz's daughter. Buddy was there. And after he read that article, he came back. He said, Rick, this is very nice. Do you mind if I keep this? I said, no, no, no. That's why I brought it. It's for you. I said, it's all yours. Thank you very much. And I whipped out one of my Slingerland drum heads. Wow. That's the, that's I that's said, the, would the you brand sign of drum set he played. Yeah. Exactly. He was playing them that night. Wow. I wow, said, yeah. would you sign this for me? He said, I'd be happy to. And I have it to this day. It's a Slingerland 14-inch drum head to Rick, Buddy Rich. Wow. Right. That is, that's, some, that's a treasure there, bro. Boy, you isn't know, that he, unusual. He made, made Slingerland drums famous, too. He oh, did, yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yes, yeah. he did. That's who I view to be the finest drummer in the world. And I'm yeah. going to tell you, Jelly, he was not trained buddy rich was born yeah you could tell yeah, he the, was the born chops like the, yeah he was born to be a drummer no exactly you know a girl out of cincinnati i i'm sure you even if you've never met her you know who randy crawford is oh yeah yeah the singer right the singer yeah the, the street life street life with the crusaders, crusaders. and yeah, she yeah. did a piece called rio de janeiro blue Okay. I don't know if you remember it, but her and Joe Sample did that as a duo, and she also recorded it for Warner Brothers on her own with a full yeah. band. Yeah. And Randy Crawford, as a vocalist, Jelly Bean Johnson, she was not trained. She was born. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'll she was that. very gifted. Uh, she's very gifted, man. And, you know, uh, Crusaders was another band that was part of my... Uh, upbringing as far as you know my baptism into the drums because i used to go watch them and all the fusion bands you know the crusaders were turned to forever you know chick Corea, oh yes uh, all the all the different you know frank zappa all the different fusion bands i were into you know, right so, how about yeah. uh, did you ever see george duke george duke I, I saw george duke even when he was in frank zappa before he became you know, the <laughs> oh, famous george duke. oh wow so you know that's how far i yes. go back with george duke roy yeah. ayers do you ever see roy, roy ayers yeah roy ayers he all did of, running away jazz. yeah yeah played the vibraphone like crazy oh yeah. yes and lionel hampton and lionel hampton yeah. from the old lionel, days lionel hampton could play the drums too he was badass drummer too. oh no that's I mean, true yeah yeah, yeah. That's it's from my father's era, the big band era. Oh, the big band era, man. Cal Basie, Duke Ellington, man. Oh, yeah. they were. Oh, what? A, yeah, definitely. Jelly Bean, it seems as though, just like every other major uh, musician that I have occasion to meet in my whole 
career of 50-some years. You know all the music, all the different styles. And is that part of why you're shaped and sounding the way you're sounding today? I think so. I, I think I was blessed, you know, and like I said, I give my mom credit about that because I was exposed to a lot of different musics and it really helped my upbringing as a musician, even though I was playing the drums. I, I think that's what, you know, kind of pushed me toward the guitar at 13 years old, too, you know, because, you know, drums are great, but, you know, I wanted to have something to play notes and, you know, and guitar just appealed to me. And then, and you know, in like 1969, like 1970, I, I found out about Hendrix. And that just changed my life totally about wanting to learn how to play the guitar. And so I started to teach myself at a 13, you know, it was just like anything else. Like, you know, from the ages from 11 to 12, my mom would always buy me a drum set and it would be tore up, you know, Christmas night, you know. And so finally, when I, I turned 13, she bought me a drum set that I couldn't tear up. You're talking so, about <laughs> one of those toy drum sets. Yeah, exactly. With the paper, to, the paper, the paper drum heads. Exactly, Rick. Yeah. They would be torn up. Oh, yeah. I would get them Christmas Day. By Christmas night, bro, they were destroyed. So then I would have to go back to beating on my mom's pots and pans and her coffee table. And she got tired of that. So when I turned 13, she finally, you know, got me a drum set I couldn't wreck. A real drum set. A real drum set. Yeah. And then it's the, the same thing kind of with guitar. We had, I had a cousin back in those days, around 14. He came and stayed with us for almost a year. And he had a guitar. Well, you know, he's just like any kid. He wasn't that interested in it. So he just left it laying around. So I picked it up and I started to get good, teaching myself how to play it and everything. So he left it there. He left it there with me for, you know, almost a year. So after about a year later, he came back and he saw how good that I had gotten on it. And he took it. well so then once again my mother stepped in she saw that i was you know getting decent on a guitar like 15 so she she bought me a a guitar that you know you know is your mom still with us no she's been gone for a lot of years but okay did she she have occasion to see what you later developed into yeah she did she did later in life she did but you know she She would never come to the arena or anything no, she came one time. One that was time a little loud for her. Yeah, it was. It was. It oh. was kind of. And you know, especially with you know me being in Prince in the time and all that stuff, it was. It was loud for her, but she came. You know. Right? Did she enjoy seeing the record albums? Oh, she did. She did. She was. She was proud of me. You know, right. Very proud. She I used to proud. watch you, and I still do. Every time I either see you on the video or or see you live, but you. If I'm not mistaken, you're left-handed, right? I, you see, and that's the other great, uh, the great secret, though, Rick. I'm right-handed, but I learned, I taught oh, myself how to play no. the drums. I knew something foolish was going that's on. Yeah, I yeah, can't crazy, and you know why? Because then people see me play guitar. I play guitar right-handed. That's because I am right-handed. But I, I taught myself to play the drums, and Rick, I don't know to this day how I did that. Me I don't know day. how you did it. Let me tell you a prime example. Me and Morse Day is a, a fabulous world-class drummer himself. And we grew up at 11, 12 years old playing drums together. And we, I used to play drums in his living room when his mom was gone for work. We would, I would bring my drums over to his house. I'd walk damn literally miles with my drums and put them. And we put them in his living room. And his mom was kind of like my mom. They, you know, they had those jobs and where they'd be home. You know, you could play till a certain time of night. And then, you know, you had to stop. Yes. So, so, uh. I would literally, you know, I, I finally got my drum set and we set up in his living room. And at 12, 13 years old, we were learning all the David Garibaldi from Tower Power and Greg Rico from Sly and the Family. We learned all these funky beats. And so that's that that helped my development. But, you know, Morris is a natural left hander. 
you know, he's naturally left-handed. So it was, it was natural for him to set the drums up that way. Me, it just happened to be that way. You know, I just, I, I, I found myself being comfortable playing like that. And, uh, and so that's how I taught myself. And, you know, it's weird to this day and people still freak out when they say, I tell them I'm right-handed and they say, well, no, you can't be. <laughs> no, no. You can't be. You, you, you play the drums left. I say, yeah, I do, but I'm right. I, so I call myself, you know, semi-amidextrous. That's what I call it. I say I'm an alien, so whatever. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, a secret was just released in the last few years by Ringo. Okay. You probably heard it because it made kind of big news. People kept saying, what is the secret about Ringo that other drummers, even though what Ringo was playing was not Buddy Rich style, no, it no. was it was basic kind of two stuff. And four. Yeah, two, and four, two and four, but people had a difficult time enunciating it, if you will, the way yeah. that he did. And he finally came out and said, people, the reason you're all having a problem with this is because... I am left-handed, and I'm playing a drum kit that's set up right-handed. Right-handed, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. what you're doing is the it's direct the same, opposite. The opposite. Yeah, it's the direct opposite. So Ringo thing, is playing games with your mind, and yeah. you are just as guilty. <laughs> <laughs> but see, that's the thing. And but but see, uh, Rick, I was I was blessed in a certain way that I learned at an early age that two and four is you know, as long as you got a great pocket, you got a good pocket and you, and your pocket is something that you, you know, you develop over the years, you know, you develop the feel of it, you develop. And to this day, I, you know, and when we're, when I'm in concert with the time and stuff, I can always tell if the, if the people are into it by, if they're dancing, while they're standing there watching me, I'm doing my job because that means the music is feeling good. It's at the right tempo. And that is that tempo was everything. You know, and as long as you learn that as a drummer and you don't get too busy and that I had to teach myself how to stop doing that from being, you know, watching fusion drummers all those years who, who are busy is, oh, yes. you, know, you know, that's part of their thing is busy. I had to teach myself and part of my development with Prince and Morris was they kind of helped me get out of that too, because with R&B music, you can't do that. You, it's two and four, you know, and you got to have a solid foundation because you got, you know, you got band members dancing. You got them playing parts and stuff, so you can't go too fast. You can't go too slow. You know, you get you have to make it comfortable for them. Feeling is everything, and I, I was lucky to learn that at a, at a young age. So, is it um, Morris Day's fault that you're playing drums the way you're playing it now? You know what? I I thought about that. I won't say. I, you know, I won't say it was his fault. I I will say that he was. He might have been part of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, won't, he, I won't blame him totally. For he it, was the no. enabler. He was in a, he was part of it, yeah. He yeah. Because it. it just made sense, you know. When I was at his house, it just made sense when we were side by side and looked right, you know. I used so. to watch you, and I say, "What? Excuse my French, but how in the hell is this guy doing these beats with his hand <laughs> like this?" I knew something funny was going on, and at first I said, "Well, now this is a different guy." And then I'd look, and you were wearing your top hat. I said, no, 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 that's Jelly Bean Johnson. Yeah, and, that's me. And you kept, it was confusing me because I could tell there was something going on with your your posture there that was not entirely left-handed. 
No, absolutely. And that's the thing. And it's funny that you said it too, Rick, because in the early years, I didn't wear a hat. You know, I was I had a I had hair. And I used to look like the drummer animal from the Muppets, you know. Oh <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> Anybody who saw us in concert, I'd be shaking my head frantically and stuff. And you know, it's funny. My kids, when they got up early, like, "Dad, is that you? What? The, what is?" You know, so, oh, yeah. I said, "Yeah, that's me. That's that was your dad, you know." But that's how I was. And then, you know, in later years, in 1988, I lost all my hair, so I I start I acquired the Michael Jordan look, and so I started wearing hats all the time. And over the years, I just developed the top, you know, the top hat thing. It it fits me. You know, and that's that's what I do now. And speaking of Jordan, have you ever met uh, my man Steve Jordan? Oh, the the drummer Steve. Yes. Jordan. No, I never have met. And he's a producer. I've always admired him from afar, man. Well, he he's is always, funky. He's produced. He's funky. He got chops. He's he's you know. I got friends that have been produced by Ronnie Baker Brooks. His last album was produced by Steve Jordan. You know, he's done all the top blues cats. Yes. And he's played with John Mayer and all these heavyweight rock Keith clapping. Richards. Keith Richards. You Aretha. Know, so, yeah, he's well respected in music circles. He's like a legend. So oh, he, know, he's I, excellent. I've never met him. I've heard stories. I heard, well, you know, being he can be a jerk and all that. But that's anybody that you know, you don't know that you have to find that out for yourself. Oh, you yeah. Know, so I, I'm going to wait to pass judgment on that. But far as his, his talent. And his achievements is they go they're unparalleled for what he's done. Oh, he is that boy. I he Bootsy put together the um James Brown tribute. Okay. After James left us, of course. And okay. with James, you're not on the two and the four, you're on the one. Yeah, oh yeah, you're on the one. Is that <laughs> you're, you're on the one. There you go. I love me some Bootsy, man. I love me some I met him few times I and some I'm going to tell you what they had the tribute I was there I was the DJ playing when the band was not playing okay and Steve Jordan flew in to play drums on that show for Bootsy okay and damned if the first thing that he didn't do he had the road men remove the ride tom from the bass drum and he played hi-hat snare bass drum floor tom and that's it yeah that's like like quest love same thing Th yep. there you yep. go yep. Yep. yeah the the and ride that's, tom that's disappeared yeah rick that that in itself is amazing you know and I've always he did it the guys that, yeah he was so on that, so the man, one so he was on the one that's the thing and the pocket is everything so that means you're not going to be doing all these crazy feels. You and you're not mm -mm, going to spend no. the right times ago. No. You're not doing all these old crazy feels and stuff like that. No, it's, no, it's no. It's a little no. bit harder to do with just the floor time. That so, yeah. boy is dangerous. You remember, I used to watch him on the David Letterman show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Before Anton Fig, you know, took yeah, over. Yeah, before Anton. Yeah, I oh, remember that. He would say. I, I, he, he was the Blues Brothers drummer. Oh, yes. Yes, he yeah. was. Yeah, and yeah. Paul Schaefer, of course, was on the, the B3 with the yeah, Blues Brothers. Absolutely. absolutely. There you go. Oh, Jelly Bean Johnson. You're kind of, you remind me a lot of Will Lee, the bass player. Yeah. You know cool Will. Too. I remember him from the Brecker Brothers. Uh, exactly. Randy yeah. and uh, his. Yeah. And Michael. Yeah. Randy and Michael Brecker. They were on what used to be called Bell Records. They turned into Arista. Okay, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Arista, yeah, yeah. yes, that's a young Will Lee. He's a badass bass player, man. Oh, and Stephen yeah. Ferrone was telling me that all the times he's played with Will Lee, if there's one thing he had to say about Will, uh -huh. is that 
He didn't care what the music was. It could have been a polka. Will Lee knows it. Yeah. He knows everything. Ain't that amazing? And, you know, Steve Ferroni, another legend, you know. from Exactly. I, I remember seeing Steve uh, Steve Ferroni in the average white band. Yeah, that's before With he AWB. Even, exactly. That's before he even joined Tom Petty, you know. So he he's he's a legend himself. Well, I was out playing. I was out playing in Fresno, California, and uh, the hostess from the, the, the restaurant, it was a show lounge. I had a show band out there. And the hostess uh, that sat people said, Rick, we've got this this new act here with us tonight visiting. Would you like to meet him? I said, uh-huh. I'd love to. And they yeah. took me to the table, and lo and behold, it was the average white band. Wow, man. With Steve oh, Ferroni. And he said, hi, good to meet you. This is my first gig. Oh, you kidding me? He so came we, from Brian Auger. Gig. Yeah. Oh, that's right. No, no, no. I, I was playing in the in the hotel. Wow. His first gig was across the street at the convention center, which was a major arena. Yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah. see the actual gig, but I met him after that show after, was over. After the show, yeah, yeah. And the he MC of that, of that show, the MC talked like this and says, goodness gracious, uh, I was in the movies. Um, uh, what was that movie called uh, with Marvin Gaye? Uh, heard it through the grapevine, Wolfman Jack. Wolfman Jack. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. He was the MC. Wow. That's crazy. Midnight special, bro. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Oh, Jelly, I'm going to tell you this. It's a true story. We had a beautiful singer out front. The The guys in the band, we had to have, of course, our matching tuxedos. You had to dress. You could not do what the you Allman not, Brothers yeah. show oh, up in no. blue jeans and a you, T-shirt. No, you had to be, you had to, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, you'd you get thrown absolutely. out. The band yeah. would lose. You don't show up at a show lounge in blue jeans and a T-shirt. Oh, hell no. That's not going to fly. <laughs> not going to fly. Yeah, so yeah. we're there in our matching tuxedos, and um, uh, the girl that was a singer was just, I mean, people compared her to Streisand because she kind of looked a little like Streisand and her voice was clear as a bell, very much like Barbara Streisand. Wow. So we met Wolfman when he was staying at the hotel with us, uh, having been the MC of that show. And then that was the first night I met him. The other guy in the band met him. She met him and so forth and so on. And then uh, it was like a two or three day, at least two day event, Friday and Saturday. So the next night he came in again and the the singer said, uh, she cornered him. Hey, good to see you back. Thanks for coming in. Good to see you. He said, Hey, I'm, uh, Listen, I'm having a party up at the room now. You're going to have to come up. He said, you know, she said, I'd love that. I'll tell you what, we're going to get Mike. That was her husband that played the B3. We're going to get Rick. That's me. And I'll let both of them know and we'll come up. And the wolf man says, no, no, listen, uh, 
uh, Mike and Rick, uh, they're not invited. I'm just saying for <laughs> you to come up here. Uh, and uh, oh, 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 well, well, I, I'm I, no, I don't think I'm. Rick, she, come on, man. She was, she was a newlywed, you see. Yeah, so she couldn't be doing. No, that, no, it did not fly. <laughs> oh no, my God. the what partying that? plans were canceled on that night. Uh, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, may lightning strike me I'm dead if I'm lying. I'm not no, lying to you. I bet you're not. I no, you sir. I don't know if you know this, Jelly Bean Johnson. I I, I know you're kind of new to the business and everything, but uh, <laughs> a lot of times these musicians they want women. I don't know if you know that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not yesterday's fool, as Chris said. You were. You might have been born at night, but. You weren't born last I'm night. Not, exactly. I'm not just made food. So All right. Let me get out of here before I dig myself in a hole and tell you about a party because I want to know if you were there. You probably were because Morris Day was there. I cannot by memory remember if you were there, but I, I'm going to bet money if I had it to that, that you were there. And that is that Warner Brothers got a hold of me and they said, we want you, Rick, to attend this party. It's going to be at a suite at the uh, blank, blank hotel in downtown Cincinnati. Okay. And Prince is the one throwing the party. And the party was for Vanity, Vanity Six. Yeah. yeah. Vanity Six had released the album yeah, but, that uh, had yeah. Nasty Girls. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And Prince was throwing the party to promote Vanity and her group, the Vanity Six, which, by the way, that was a Prince situation. No, no uh, question. There was no question about that. But no, Morris no Day was there. I want to yeah. know, did you attend a party in Cincinnati in honor of Vanity to promote Vanity Six in the hotel suite? Well, Were you, you know there what? or no? Rick, I probably was there. I don't remember, you know. And the it was I'm years ago. That, it was years. I'm on the reason I'm gonna say that because we played. We were the band, you know. Oh, people, you, you were know, the band that played that. Yeah, we were played. The, the time was her band, and you know, it's funny. I'll tell you a quick, short, funny story about that. Uh, when they when Prince first got them and stuff, you know, and he, we went in rehearsal and stuff, and you know, we, we was bickering with him about money and all that stuff, anything. So anyway, he agreed to pay us, I think, one hundred fifty dollars a week extra to play, you know, to be their band, whatever. So anyway, before he took them out on the road, we did a couple showcases with them, you know. We did, yes, uh, for the record the labels, for the record, for like record labels and stuff. And so the only problem with this, Rick, is that. You know, the, with us being the, the time, we did not want to back them. We didn't want people seeing us backing them up on stage. Right. So, so we came up with the ingenious, uh, we got together among the guys in the time and stuff. And we said, well, what can we, and we said, oh, you know what? We just going to wear disguises. So we were the, the first couple gigs, man, we were on stage with her, with them. And we were in disguise. And what I mean by disguise, we all, each one of us, each one of the guys in the time did not look like himself. You know, uh, uh, Jimmy Jam had a, a preacher's robe on. Jesse looked like a rabbi. I had a like a beatnik beetle uh, uh, beret on with sunglasses wrapped around. <laughs> no top <laughs> Money, hat. Money was something else. Yeah, and it was it was hilarious. 
But we did the first couple of gigs. And then after a while, management was like, oh, we can't do this. So when we went out on tour, when Prince brought us out on tour with them, we would play for them. But we were behind a fishnet curtain, a pink fishnet curtain. And we would be back at the time. We'd be back to playing. And a lot of times we played the different arenas and stuff. Prince would be back there playing with us because nobody could see through it. Exactly. So it, it was crazy, man. So I guarantee you, I probably was at that particular party you're talking about, but I just, you know, so many years ago, I can't remember. And Prince was actually there too, walking around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, that was the, and was, that was, was amazing. Yeah, that we did that a lot, man. You know, it was a party just about every 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 city when we were on his. Uh, and I'll tell you a funny story about that because you know we each had our own floor. You know, Prince and the Revolution had their floor, and the Time had their floor. Well, the Time was always partying. Mm-hmm. So, so, it, so you know, Prince would get wind of that we have our party, so he'd come down there and stuff because you know you couldn't go up on Prince's floor. There was you know a guard there. Right, security. Everybody could, come, everybody could come on the time floor. You know, we inviting everybody. So our floor would be packed with people and girls and everything, and we'd be partying. And then Prince would get wind of it, and him and Big Chick would come down there and kind of crash the party, see what we were doing. And it, it was hilarious, man. And uh, what's uh, Morris Day walking around in his black and white Stacy Adams? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have all all that going on, man. Morris walking around Stacy Adams, all of us. You know, we were easy access. You know, we we and you know we made ourselves available to the public. Now, you know, and Prince Prince would not do that. He wasn't doing that. Unlike the time, and unlike Prince, the time the DJs in the clubs liked the time and they liked the Prince records because those DJs of which I was one of them, you had to play the 12 inch dance singles because they were the high quality. Yeah. 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 The deeper the bass, the wider the, the, the wider, groove. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So where most people at home get by with an LP that has 12 songs, six and six on and each, short versions of them. Yeah. Too. Short versions. You don't need those wide grooves if you're playing yeah. in a living room for you and your exactly. wife. Exactly. But if exactly. you're playing at a club for hundreds of people, you want the high quality. Exactly. And you'd get. A, a record by the time you'd get one of the dance signals like controversy from Prince and boy, boom, boom. It was in the pocket. But with that darn vanity six nasty girls, Prince was giving you that George Clinton and P funk. It was damn near impossible to mix that thing in in the beat in the beat whatever yeah where yeah we wanted to change records where the dance floor would be solidly packed and nobody would know the record changed exactly he wasn't having that he wasn't (laughs) gonna have it on that so what we had to do jelly bean johnson we had to work that record early in the night so that the audience knew it by lyrics yeah, absolutely. And grew to like it that way. And then when radio picked it up, they got to know it by lyrics. And the girls, oh, nasty girls. Yeah, that's what we want. And so you'd drop, kick it in there and slip it in without mixing it to the beat. And that's the way we had to get it in there. You had to work that record. You couldn't introduce it like you could a Jungle Love or like oh no, uh-uh, or, no. or Controversy. It was, it was different. And the beat was a little bit, Nasty Girl's beat was a little bit different too. It oh, yes, it was. It was, I call it the George Clinton and P-Funk syndrome. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. that beat was all over the place. You couldn't yeah. mix it. Uh, you couldn't mix it uh, New York style. No, you couldn't. No, uh-uh. absolutely. absolutely. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you're just joining us today, it is our honor to have here on the podcast today the man that produced, along with Janet Jackson, her Black Cat, and that was from Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation. He has a brand new album out. It's called Get Experienced, and it is by the, the Jelly Bean Johnson Experience. Uh huh. It's, it's kind of like another man that had a, yeah. a, a group called The Experience. Yep, yep, absolutely. Uh The JH experience. Exactly. Uh, You're never going to believe it, but he worked for some boys out of Cincinnati that later left Cincinnati and went to Teaneck, New Jersey, because they wanted to record a record, which indeed they did. And their first record was called Shout. Part one and part two. I know exactly who you're talking about, the Isley Brothers. Cincinnati's (laughs) own Isley Brothers. Isley Brothers. Ernie, I love me some Ernie Isley. Oh, yes. Marvin Isley, bless his soul. He was on radio with me. I interviewed Marvin. I still have the tapes of Marvin Isley. And at the club, he was kind enough to do what Roger Troutman did, and he gave me a drop. And he said, hi, this is Marvin Isley, the Isley Brothers, and you're listening to our very good friend, Rick Flynn. And boom, I'd play Living in the Life. Wow. Uh, yeah. You know, it's a lot of iconic Isley Brothers songs. Bro. Oh, I, mean, I love the, the Isley Brothers. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to say, Jelly Bean Johnson, the time flies when you're with somebody you can relate to and that is eloquent and knows how to speak like you do. You're a you're a <laughs> tremendous talent. Thank you, Rick. Thank you so much. My pleasure, baby. And I'm going to tell you what, one more time, I want you to tell everybody that's listening where they can get your album. It's not the Jimi Hendrix experience. It's the Jelly Bean Johnson experience. And they're going to get it where? At your website and tell them where it is. uh, It's jellybean-johnson.com. My website, Real Music Radio, Jeff Luna and uh, Christopher Arnell. Those two places for now. We're not streaming it right now, but we will a little bit later on. But those two places for now. Now, is there a, on your website, is there an email where the fans could actually write and say hello? Yeah, there's, there's all that's on, on, uh, on, in my website and stuff, the emails, and you can send comments. Trust me, I want as much feedback on this album. I want to see if I'm hidden in the right place. So please feel free to comment and let me know what you think about the record. I would love it. You could also hit me up on my Jellybean Johnson page on Facebook, you know, and put comments on there on my Gary Johnson page, you know. Excellent. And uh, at on Facebook, so you know. Well, Shirley Murdoch and I had a discussion about the late Roger Troutman, and I know that you're familiar with uh, every show that I've done where they have at the beginning on the announcements, Jelly Bean, there's a gentleman on the intro. He plays the talk box, and he says, you're listening to Rick Flynn. Do you know who that man is? No. Do you have a clue? Uh, Roger Troutman? That's the real Roger Troutman. He gave me that as a gift. I can believe it, man. He was so gifted, man. I'm going to tell you a quick story about Roger, too. Go ahead. Really really amazed me. We did all those shows with him. And occasionally, you know, his talk box usually was through a keyboard or something like that. Yes. But every once in a while, occasionally, the keyboard would go out. I mean, you know, everything breaks and stuff. So I actually watched him one night do all his songs with the talk box and his guitar. Oh, yeah. It was 
unbelievable. You couldn't even tell the difference. He could all those tricks he did with the keyboard. He was doing with his guitar in the talk box, man. I was like amazed that Roger could do that stuff. When I he was first a saw him, guitar player too. Oh, he was excellent. He had yeah. won the School for Talent, which was a TV show. It was kind of like uh, it was a competitive TV show years ago. Harris mm -hmm. Rosedale was the host on WCPO television in Cincinnati. And they had a show uh, called Harris Rosedale School for Talent. And they'd bring on the young children that were talented and they'd vote. And he had won but he wasn't allowed to tell everybody he won because the public wasn't going to know until the show aired that Saturday, you see. Yeah, yeah. So he yeah. went to school knowing he was this big star that won, but wow. he had to keep his mouth shut. And yeah, he yeah. won that show when he was in grade school. Oh, my God. Playing and guitar. He was that young, huh? He his, was that dad, young, huh? his dad was named Rufus Sr. and would take him to the bar. I give... Money, $50, $20 for anybody could come up here and outplay him. Wow. Nobody wow. came up there and nobody outplayed him. So that so that that teller that that teller came from a young age too. And see, I didn't know that. Well, I should have known that because he was so prolific at that. And then that when he that. went to junior high school is the first time that I met him. I had heard of him back when he was in grade school with his yeah. band. At that time, they were called Little Roger and this fabulous Vels. Wow. V-E-L-S. Wow. Yeah. Little yeah. Roger and his fabulous and Vels. Vels. That is crazy. Man. And then in junior high school, they shifted and they became Roger and the human body. Yeah, I remember Roger and the human body. Yeah. And he would show up at the gymnasiums, at the schools, and at the gymnasium, at the, the federal U.S. Army uh, ROTC, at the armory. When they'd have dances at the armory using their, their gymnasium, damn, if he wouldn't show up, Jelly Bean, with this guitar of his that had coins all over it, pasted yeah. on it <laughs> going through going through a 147 or whatever it is leslie tone cabinet yeah yeah and he I'm would be surprised. playing guitar through a leslie and he was just fascinating yeah he yeah. was fascinating and major league talent man major absolutely and yeah. people say well it was bootsy and george that actually discovered uh, Roger. I've heard that. I've heard that. Absolutely. Much. Well, I'm going to go with that. Let me say 40%. I'm yeah, gonna, there you go. There I'm going to give you the real 60% of how it happened. Are okay. you ready? Yeah. Phelps, Catfish Collins. Uh, Bootsy's brother. Bootsy's brother. Bootsy yeah. called him my baby big brother. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. was Bad. at Legend. the... Oh, he was the guy that did that ka chicka 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 on oh, yeah. on uh I'm super bad and super get up and I feel up, like sex up, machine get up like sex machine that's that's yeah. catfish finest man he pioneered that he was one of the yes, pioneers he was. he was he was so funky man oh my god and he w showed up at the club the local club in Cincinnati and he sees this Roger and his human body and he calls Bootsy he said now nah, look there's something going on here uh we can't let this cat get away he's ready and sure enough bootsy 
uh, hooked Roger up with George and the rest, yeah. the rest is history. It's history. Yeah. 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 So that's how it really catfish was the main. It was culprit. catfish that yeah, discovered yeah. Roger. Yeah. And I'm glad. And you know what? And no, Rick, I never heard that story. I knew he had his, uh, affiliations with George and in, in the P-Funk camp, but I know he, he left there almost immediately after he, you know, he started making it. But, uh, and I, I heard George wasn't too happy about it, but you know, Roger was always seen like his own dude, man. And so, that, so well, yeah. that explains it. Well, I'll I'll tell you, I'll show you how much of his own dude that he was. You have to be familiar in your lifetime with a group called the Almond Brothers. Oh, oh. <laughs> Please yes. tell me you've heard of them. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I grew up on them. Yeah. Dwayne Almond was part of that Muscle Shoals session team. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. he Alabama. played the lead on some of the uh, 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 Lady Soul records yeah aretha franklin yeah, aretha yeah. franklin Dwayne Allman was a was a prolific a studio guitarist yeah. exactly I, I yeah exactly dickie betts when the allman brothers were not touring the two lead guitar players for the allman brothers were Dwayne allman up until his death of course and, and dickie, dickie betts, betts. Yeah. yeah now when dickie betts had free time when the allman brothers were not on the road he yeah. hooked up with an act a two hours south from downtown Cincinnati in Louisville. Oh, okay. Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. They were called Great Southern. Oh, wow. And it became Dickie Betts and Great Southern. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Dickie Betts would do live concert from a recording studio shows that were live over fm radio for a station here in cincinnati called webn fm at that time okay uh, they're still around but they're not what they used to be they used to be number one in the market now they've slipped way down because they sold it and ownership changes and you know what happened oh the, yeah stuff happens yeah stuff happens so yeah. at any rate their bass player on great southern for not lead now mind you bass okay their bass player could not make it or something you know maybe dicky fired him i don't know what happened <laughs> yeah I, dicky I was not he had a little yeah. of that james brown in him you yeah, see I, I, i've heard some stories about dicky yeah you know his uh, son is good too i know yeah. his, I, he would only son, he would only fire people jelly bean on the days of the week that ended in the letter y Get out of here. Yeah. Other than that, he wouldn't <laughs> fire anybody. So okay. he had no bass player, and they were scheduled, and it was all promoted, and it was all over the radio. Uh, on such and such a date, we're going to have Dickie Betts and Great Southern live from the recording studio, which was the fifth floor recording, where Prince would record when he came to Cincinnati, where the initial Zap records were recorded before Roger and his brother and family built their own studio up in Dayton. Yeah, Troutman Enterprises. Enterprises Incorporated, correct. Yeah. And darn it, if they didn't need a bass player for Dickie Betts and Great Southern with no rehearsal. Wow. They called up Roger Troutman. And he shows up. He plays the bass. You're kidding me. Having never before played with Dickie Betts in his life. You're kidding me. I'm I'm as serious as a heart attack, and I've got the tapes from when 
Roger was on my talk show on 50,000 Watt FM radio in Cincinnati where he told the story. And Lester will vouch for it right now. I've got Roger yeah. in his own words speaking it. And you know what? I'm going to probably air that and bring it back out for the public because it's part yeah. of history. That is historical, bro. It's historical. Oh my God. So he shows up and he plays this recording session, which was broadcast live as it happened to the people in Cincinnati. It occurred at the Fifth Floor Studios. It went out over WEBN-FM, which was at that time the number one rock station in Cincinnati. And Dickie Betts, uh, Roger told me, and he told my audience on the radio, he says, Dickie Betts said, listen, uh, would you be interested in this gig? Uh, I'd like to hire you. Uh, I'd like you to come to work. Mm -hmm. Roger says, listen, thank you, but I'm doing my own thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm not really interested. Uh, I got my own thing going on with my family. Uh, I, I'm wrapped up in that. Uh, I can't leave my brothers. We've worked together my, my whole life. Uh, no, I'm not interested, but thank you. But here's who I'm going to recommend. And he goes and recommends another young man that was Dave Goldfelees, who later went on to play with the Allman Brothers. And they called him the Rook because he was a uh -huh. rookie. He was a young boy. Yeah. Troutman recommended him. Betts took his advice, hired him, and he later joined the Allman Brothers, and he also joined uh, uh, Great Southern, the gig that Roger turned down. Now yeah. that, and, and this was, like I say, this was not Roger on the lead. It was on him the on the bass. I see it, and, and Rick, I never knew he could play the bass. I no, knew he was prolific I, on the keyboards and talk box and guitar, but I never knew about the bass. Man, I believe. Surprised. The only thing I never saw Roger play, and I was in the studio with him uh, many times, but I've never seen him play drums. But you know what? He'd tell Lester, his brother, exactly how he wanted it done. And Lester's brilliant on that shit, too, man, on those records. He's oh, brilliant. he had it. He had it yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. And Roger was, they say Roger was a genius behind the console. And you know what? I'm never going to deny that. No, I'm not either. I, I'm not surprised. Those, those, those Zap records, Roger and Zap records are flawless, bro. They you know, are, they were all they done analog. Yeah. And people, people thought because of the cleanliness of the sound that they were all digital. No, uh, uh those are analog. Those are you analog. Just, you just somebody knew what the hell they were doing. That, That's there all you. that was. I, I I give you the first letter of his first name. It was an R. <laughs> <laughs> Roger. <laughs> there you go. Oh, Jelly Bean Johnson. I want to thank you again. When I ran across you on that Monday night up in Minneapolis, you were kind enough to come over to our table after you and I had talked right there backstage. And you came over, you sat down, you spoke to my party. You were like Roger Troutman was. And this is what Shirley Murdoch and I were, were speaking of. No matter how big that Roger became in life, he never forgot to be accessible to the yeah, people who yeah. loved him. And yeah. I get the same vibe, the same feeling about you. Now it's just, uh, hey, Rick, I'm that same guy, bro. 
you know, a lot of my friends aren't, a lot of my rich friends aren't, but I'm, yeah. I'm that guy. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've, I can name names and I'm not going to, because yeah, I'm not I about too. that. I, 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 yeah. We won't, we won't go there. I, yeah. We're not going to go there, <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, I can name them that have made multi millions off of publishing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, not, Lord. not the live performance publishing off of publishing, bro. And they I'm, showed I'm up. I'm, I'm telling you of a lot of that. Trust me. I know what you're saying here. They thank, showed glad, up you know at, what? And Rick, thank you for saying that on this show. Thank oh, um, listen, I'm all about the truth. Jelly bean. Yeah, yeah. They'd show up at the darn theater and I was the MC and the theater could hold 2000. They'd show up in, in a semi tractor trailer full of crap every other band's using a, a box van yeah, yeah yeah they're showing up in a semi-tractor ripping out the console that the theater had for the night so that they could put in their little digital console yeah and lo and behold they'd walk in there and they draw 50 people yeah 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 in, yeah. in a theater that could hold two thousand thousand yeah yeah you know. hey man hey karma <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. mm-hmm. guess how many times these acts came back there to ever play again wow i bet mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i can tell yeah. it to you in round numbers i'm sure you can <laughs> <laughs> real round real numbers round numbers yeah, yeah. yes Amen. sir i'm telling you um, uh, people people need to get a hold of reality jelly bean in this yes, business sir. especially in this business man but, boy you but, got you know, it Rick, you you old school, you go from way back, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I know what you especially about the publishing thing. That's a whole nother thing for me coming up later on and and my interviews and travels around the world and stuff. But uh, yeah, that is that is that is a true statement. That's true stuff. You know? Exactly. And, you know, now before don't know. before I let you go, give me a word or two so that the people can hear uh, what are your thoughts having met and worked all that time with janet jackson how is she as a person most of us only know her as from the royalty family she came from and from of course the the uh quote wardrobe malfunction end quote (laughs) (laughs) with uh justin timberlake other than all that nonsense how was she when you worked with her well, in the early years, it was almost like, and, and she said this publicly, me, Jim, and Terry, like her, like her brothers. You know, we we were that close to her in the early years because you know, remember Rick, when we did Control. You know, nobody expected Control to be the big success that it was, and she had not been around it. We made her always made her feel comfortable. You know, when she was around, we always uh, showed her a lot of love. We protected her. We were respectful toward her, and she liked that. So it, it was, it, you know, it was, it was cool. The early years of school, you know, now I haven't seen her in almost 25 years, but. Okay. Let me say was, one thing and you give me your thoughts. Okay. M I S miss S U much miss you much. Okay. That was her single from the same album that your black cat was on. Am I right? That was the first single. Miss you much was the first single. Miss boy. I love that. <laughs> what do you think about it? I think I think it was great. That's that's the brilliance of Jimmy Jam, and you know Terry. That's was, Jimmy and but, Terry. Yes, yeah, Jimmy and Terry, but you know especially Jimmy. You know Jimmy, and I haven't said this too many times pro, uh, prolifically, but Jimmy was when it came to music. You know Jimmy was a was a former DJ, so he knew what w- could move the masses and stuff. And he was prolific, far as musical wise, far as playing music and stuff. He was prolific like Prince. 
He really was. And so that that really defined him and Terry's legacy in, in music and stuff because he would come up with some all these iconic groups and stuff. It was mostly him. You know, it was mostly Jimmy. And so. Prince fired both of them. Why was it ego, you think? It was ego. But, you know, Rick, I, I, I've i dealt with that all my life. A lot of my mm-hmm. friends, their ego is bigger than their talent. No, no, and, I and know I, that. And I, I, I'm still dealing with this to the day. You know, I won't go into the details about it, but that's how it is. Yeah, and that's 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 what that was. Uh, and you know, when Prince fired him, he didn't expect them to turn into phenomenon that they did, but they did. So that mm-hmm. was, you know, that's a, remember what we just said a few minutes ago, karma. Yeah. Sometimes you know, sometimes it it you know it, it'll it come back, back to it, bite you on the rear you. end. Yes, it will. It yeah. doesn't matter who you are. It does not matter who you are. So. Jelly Bean Johnson, can I thank you again for taking the time to come on the podcast to speak to this worldwide audience? May I say thank you from the bottom of my heart, sir. Hey, thank you, Rick, for having me. And thank you. And you be safe out here. We're in a very tough time right now. And we just want to get to the other side and get back to some kind of normalcy, you know, where we can have our crowds and entertain people and be around each other and all that good stuff, the good old days. Absolutely. At this time, if you don't mind, I'd just like you to say a goodbye, Jelly Bean. Goodbye, Jelly Bean. <laughs> oh, there we go. The audience is going crazy. Jelly Bean. Jelly Bean Johnson, ladies and gentlemen. He is the drummer for Morris Day in the Time. He co-produced the number one hit single with Janet Jackson from her Rhythm Nation album. It's called Black Cat. He's got his brand new album, Get Experienced. Am I right there, Jelly Bean? Get Experienced from the Jelly Bean Johnson experience. You get that at his website. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This is Rick Flynn speaking. It's been fun, but I've got to run. Thank you, especially to our brothers and sisters in England, Scotland, Wales, Ireland. We are actually increasing over there. And if you're in England, Scotland, Wales, Ireland, thank you. Tell your friends, stick with me. I'm delighted to have you. And have a great, great week, a great day. It's been a pleasure. And thank you one more time, Jelly Bean Johnson. We love you very much. Take care, everybody. Thank you. We'll see everyone. Bye-bye. Proceeding was a Rick Flynn production. This is your announcer, Chantal Marie speaking.